So here we are, episode three. Um, last episodes, first two episodes I talked about uh, when I was 13, or just before my 13th birthday, then my 13th birthday, and then going to Vancouver and getting caught up in the, the Jesus People's Army. Uh, and uh, then in that I said that I went home after a few weeks, which I did, but after my dad left, if you listen to the last one, I said uh, I went home from Vancouver. Um, after my dad left and went back to to Alabama, I, um, I did end up going back and living with the uh, Jesus People's Army for uh, the summer, right through um, till, I guess, October, when I came back to live with with my family at the uh, commune in in Qualicum. So um, for it, when I went back and I lived with them for the the summer and into the fall, um, the whole time was a time of uh, uh, learning for me. Um, they had daily. Um, uh, studies and and in church twice on Sunday and I lived in a dorm with a bunch of men uh, until they decided that it wasn't right for a 13 year old to to be living with these adult men so they billeted me out and I went to live with a Catholic woman she was a um, uh, a widow she had a few kids um, sons I don't think she had daughters and so I stayed with her and uh, she taxied me around, took care of me, fed me. Although I ate most of my meals with the uh, with the Jesus People's Army, um, it was an uh, interesting time. So when I did come back to Qualicum, I went back to school in grade seven, which is when I met a bunch of uh, of the people that are now my peers in the town that I live in, uh, and. Um, I don't think, I mean, some of them knew some of the stuff. Like I said, I carried a Bible with me for the first year and a bit. Um, I carried it with me all the time. Actually, I carried one with me most of the time anyway, but I carried that one on my belt. And I said Revelation, the book of Revelation, but it wasn't just Revelation. It was actually more the Gospels, the, the actual things that Jesus said in uh, Matthew 24. Luke 13 and no Luke 21 and Mark 13 um Jesus talked about the the last days and there's a part in there where it says um flee to the mountains and don't turn back and and uh, I've come to understand something about that since then and maybe I'll talk about that later but that there was a sense of trepidation about this sudden change and and on the beginning of a judgment that was going to come on the world and and um so I carried a bit of fear and it was a it was an interesting fear because I had complete faith in my my understanding of who Jesus was uh but it did give me some fear so that's just some filling in some gaps back there if you have any questions feel free to email me or phone me you know I've had a couple of people actually have asked me some questions so it's that's interesting feel free um 
most of you are getting this on Facebook, so you can message me or or email me. Maybe I'll, I think it's included. The email's included in this podcast platform. I think I don't know. It's all new for me. So anyway, uh, three years after I came back uh, to to Qualicum, um, so I lived three years, grade seven, eight, nine. Went to uh, Qualicum Elementary, and then. Uh, Qualicum High for uh, eight and grade eight and nine met a lot of people. Some of them, like I said, are still friends. Uh, did a lot of stuff. I um, I had quit doing drugs and uh, and drinking and stuff when I was thirteen. Which sounds kind of funny, I know, but <laughs> so then uh, I did start drinking again. Um, like I was playing music, so I was playing with other uh, people from school and got in a band, played music with a, with, uh, a group of, of, uh, people from the commune and then the commune broke up and still played music, uh, did some recording, which I'll probably go into later. Anyway, uh, um, all originals at that time. Um, then when I was about 15, I, so that would have been between grade eight and nine, I guess. I did start drinking. It was a big part of being a teenager in Qualicum Beach at that time. Lots of uh, lots of drink. There was lots of marijuana and, and stuff happening too, but I wasn't doing that. Um, did drink a lot of five star five star rye. I don't know. I don't even think they have that anymore. It was the cheapest rot gut rye you could get. It was pretty bad, <laughs> but we drank a lot of it. <laughs> And drove around and did things where every every year people got killed from drinking and driving. It was like friends of yours, you know, in the summer. Whatever, that's sad stuff. More stories. Um, anyway, when I was 16, 50, 16, I think it was, um, we were, there was five of us. We were at my neighbor's house and they had a, a bus that was camperized. Uh, and so there was me and Tammy and Kathy and Kevin and Roma in this bus. And, uh, Kevin, I think it was Kevin, he had some hashish and they were token up on the hash and, you know, come on, have a toke with us. You never toke with us. And so anyway, I did peer pressure, I guess, um, you know, um, Peer pressure plays heavy on teenagers. It did then, and I'm sure it does now. So it's something to be aware of. And uh, anyway, I was aware of it, and yet I did smoke that hash with them. And then after uh, after smoking it, it was like um, it was like it it brought on the just this huge flashback for me. Uh, so flashback is when you take psychedelics, in particular LSD, years later you can have a flash back to, to, the, uh, to the trip you had. So um, it still happens to me today. There's certain places I go or things, if I'll hear a song or uh, smells, that'll cause me to flash back to something that happened to me when I was a, a preteen, um, an LSD trip or mescaline or whatever. So, um, in this, this particular case, when we smoked the hash, uh, we're 
all in the bus and the bus was parked in a position where you could see Mount Aerosmith. Um, at the time, both our farm and the farm next door, the trees were, had been cut down. They weren't, there was trees there on the, on the bank, but they weren't tall. They didn't block the view to the, to the mountain. So you could see Mount Aerosmith and, uh, um, the sun was, was, uh, setting and the sky turned all orange and, uh, I flashed on, uh, a couple of things. One was the, the, uh, scriptures that I just talked about, the, the, from the gospels of, uh, uh Matthew, Mark, and Luke, where Jesus talked about the end times. And, um, I thought I flashed to a, an LSD trip I had had when I was 12 in, in Mendocino. Uh, on the beaches of Mendocino, which is Northern California, well, Middle California. And, um, um, and that, that trip, I thought the end of the world had come. We tri tripped all night long and, and, uh, th that was a bizarre one because we'd actually tripped all day. And then when we ended our trip, it was such a great, experience that we took some more of a different kind of acid which wasn't as good you know, like I don't know if you remember in the uh in Woodstock where the guy gets up and he says uh, yeah the uh, the brown acid that's going around it's uh it's not particularly good so you might want to avoid that well that's kind of what happened in Mendocino we had a really good trip with this green stuff and then uh, we took these purple tablets and uh so it was like 20 it was going to be 24 hours pure tripping and it was a very uh, speedy kind of a, a trip so uh, in the end of that trip when the sun was coming up a big plane flew over and I uh, it had a big radar thing or sonar thing on the top of it they still use those surveillance or reconnaissance planes I don't know what they're for but it flew over it was quite low and the sky was orange and I freaked I mean it was the end of the trip we weren't peaking anymore but I thought this is something's happened this is the end of the world uh I I thought at that time I said some some somebody bombed the uh there's a couple of nuclear power plants outside of Berkeley I said somebody bombed the nuclear power plants or they exploded or something and so I thought we were all gonna be fried it was a not a very pleasant way to end 24 hours of tripping, but um, that's what happened. So when we were in the bus and the sky turned orange and I looked at the mountain, I began to flash back onto that and also back onto the, the Jesus's talking about the, the end days, last days, end of time, whatever. I don't remember how it's worded exactly. And uh, I freaked. After the sun went down, the mountain, the back of the mountain lit up like Port Alberni's on the other side of the mountain. And the whole sky just turned. It started to glow from the city, from the lights of Port Alberni. Now, at that time, between us, our property, and then there was the river and the valley... And then between us and Mount Washington, there was virtually nothing, no houses, no, uh, no buildings, you know, there was no light to interfere with what was coming from the mountain. 
So it, it was a to me it was a bright uh, glow coming from the the mountain, and I thought this is you know this is the end, you know. So there was some trepidation because here I was smoking pot, and I had said you know sort of committed to not doing that anymore when I became a Christian, but. So uh, I freaked and um, I uh, left. I left the bus. I left the other four there. They must have thought I was pretty weird. I never, I never did talk to any of them about that, what they thought about it, that I can remember. And I went home. And um, my mom knew as soon as I came in that something was, was up. Now, I had a very interesting relationship with my mom. Um, she had invested some of her belief in this uh, system, this community called Summerhill, which adopted a philosophy of uh, letting kids do whatever they wanted. And uh, she had implemented that philosophy in my life, uh, starting when I was about 10. She didn't do it so much with my younger brothers and sisters, my younger brother and sister, but, and Steve, my older brother, he was living with my dad. He went to live with my dad. So I got the full brunt of this experimental sort of philosophy of uh, letting me do whatever I want. And that's how, how a lot of the interesting stories that I have came to be from me having complete liberty, liberty as an adult, basically. Um, so anyway, I went home and uh, my mom, though sometimes I didn't, I wondered about her her care for me because it she didn't protect me, you know, she didn't, uh, you know, she adopted this philosophy. Um, but anyway, at that particular time, she, uh, she was very compassionate and uh, she had me lie down, I lay down on her bed and she just rubbed my back and talked to me, soothing, calming. And I knew, you know, I was fully aware that she cared deeply for me, that she loved me. Uh, it imprinted my my life. It was an imprint, you know, it imprinted me. So uh, after that, I, within a few weeks, months, whatever, I was back smoking pot and hash and doing blow. And I never did any like MDA or anything like that again that I can remember but I did do peyote and psilocybin and edible THC and those were like you know those were pretty heavy for me because I had this like pre whatever pre-exposure that made it made me sensitive to that stuff I guess so um, anyway that started a whole new chapter in my life from 16 to actually right before I got married that's another 15 minutes of my story and I hope you enjoyed it and so I just I want to keep going but that's enough I got a good song coming up this is a song I wrote I'm going to tell you a little bit about it before I publish it so we're going to run a little over time um this was a song I wrote for uh there was a guy that I once I had kids I I followed him he was a psychologist and he was a Christian and he had an adopted son, and the adopted son sort of estranged himself from uh, from the family. And uh, he get, he told this story, um, and it would have been in the '90s that he told this story. And I I it just it pulled on my heartstrings, and I wrote a song. I never finished the song, and then when my dad died, 
I picked that song back up and I rewrote it. And he died in 2010? No. Yeah, 2010. And um, then I put it away. I never did anything with it. And then when my youngest turned 16 and uh, we had a... We had a separation, separation there, sort of semi-estrangement that happened when he was 16, and I finished the song, and I've tweaked it a few times. Anyway, this song sort of relates to that, uh, the sadness of estrangement, sadness of loss, uh, and and a desire from from uh, from my point of view for something eternal, like a relationship eternal. Anyway. The song is called Ryan Be There. Um, enjoy it. Talk to you next time. Selfish stride, know what it does. This pride of life, its choices made and chances taken and decisions made are in the making. Oh, right, right, be there. Some pains become unbearable for life's short span to take. Grief rips, grief tears, and leaves you flat just lying there. Let rust be rust, and let go faded diamonds, cars, and clothes. Take hold of my hand and lead me. Ryan, be there. Ryan, Ryan, be What you do, who you are, the questions asked, what it means to be a man, want to know, truth of life, 
need to find out what it is that makes you real. And on the other side, I watch the river passing by. I see it deep and I see it wide. Orion, be there. My life like yours was fraught with pain And rife with joy and both were gain But when I stand in glory's light Orion, be there Orion Orion, be there Orion Orion, 